Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Last week, we were lucky enough to be joined by Justin from the Generation Y podcast. And we had such a lengthy conversation when it came time to hit record that we had to push pause. So today, we're bringing you part two of that conversation with Justin from Generation Y. I've become very disillusioned because I very much support my Second Amendment. At the same time, I very much support my first, my fourth, my fifth, my sixth, my seventh, my eighth. And exactly. It seems, that, it seems that the people that claim to be the most for freedom are the ones that will throw away our first and our fourth and our fifth oh, very, very so quickly. True. And I guess bringing this back to mass shootings and guns, how can we implement some of these laws? How can we enforce things without trampling people's constitutional rights? Yeah, I think it's a fine line. And I love that you asked that question that way, because if we don't protect First and Fourth Amendment rights, the right to speak and, you know, unreasonable search and seizure, if we don't protect those, there's no point in protecting Second Amendment rights. We have to protect all of them equally. That's the Constitution. Mm. As an FBI agent, my job was to uphold the Constitution, not parts of it, right? In law enforcement, the same thing. There's no ends justify the means. You must protect the right to unreasonable search and seizure. You must protect the right to free speech. I don't have to like what you say, but in our rules, Sarah, under the law in the United States, I will defend to death your right to say it, even if you're wrong and stupid, right? I mean, that's our law, and we are very particular and precious about that. But you you absolutely have a right to privacy, a right to speech. Privacy is not actually in the Constitution, just so you know. But the courts have interpreted it to be private. Yeah. A lot of, a lot just of case saying. precedent. Yeah, I know. A little bit of case precedent there yeah. that says privacy rights, right? And we want those privacy rights. But I think that requires us to do a better job of enforcing the laws that we have, which I hear every gun owner say, you know, I'm getting shit on because they, they, the government, won't enforce the gun laws that are out there. You know, that that's kind of true. And the reason it's kind of true is because there's a challenge about funding. There's a challenge about people, you know, misdirecting law enforcement priorities and people being stupid. You know, people are obstinate and stupid sometimes. That's my answer, Justin. People well, are just that- stupid. just think to myself, how do I want my community to look? I don't want it full of bystanders. I want it full of good, upstanding people. And to get there, you kind of have to take some kind of responsibility in how even just your small community functions, and then hopefully that will ripple out. I'm all about, let's all be better upstanders. 
Yeah, do your part. Yeah. We're, we're Americans. We have zero care how the rest of the world sees us. I just. <laughs> <laughs> That's established, I mean, Justin. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm just telling it like it is, not that I agree or disagree. I'm just saying, as Americans, we don't care. You don't care. Other... Yeah. yeah. Um, I love it. But this We're not even different... really aware of what's going on in the rest of the world. Are there other countries? You guys are being the best versions of American caricatures right <laughs> yeah. now. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> here in the state of Missouri, we had, uh, what was it, the preservation of the Second Amendment Act that was trying to be passed. Not only did Missouri do away with pretty much most gun laws, uh, they became a constitutional right. carry carry state. So a term that I do not like, just for yeah. the record, people who use that term make it sound like, well, I'm more legitimate because I'm a constitutionalist. Well, you know, I'm a constitutionalist, too. That doesn't mean anything. It's just an open carry or it's a concealed carry law it just says I can carry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially it does away with the need to get a conceal and carry license anyone can carry now uh that's the the thing but then on top of that they tried to pass and i don't think it went through a preservation of freedom or i don't remember the actual wording of it but it would disallow local law enforcement from working with a federal agency in a gun investigation so how i interpret that is if you're a drug runner from Illinois or if you're running drugs from Missouri to Illinois, because Illinois right. is the one with the strict Common. gun laws, right. uh, local you know, Missouri police officers would not be able to engage the FBI or the ATF to go after these gun traffickers. That's how I interpret what the effects of it would be. But the, the people that were trying to pass the law were saying, no, they're coming for our guns and we got to make sure that the federal government doesn't come in and take our guns away so we're going to pass this second amendment preservation act when really it would just make it a lot harder for law enforcement to enforce gun laws and enforce any laws how can you go after drug dealers who carry guns if you can't do the investigations and local law enforcement can't cooperate you know what and then the thing is when you have a problem and you want law enforcement and you want the fbi and you want the state police engaged in helping you out you're the first one saying they should do everything they could possibly do and then there's like these roadblocks put up in front of us for stupid reasons. Am I off base there, Justin? No, that's 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 the hypocrisy that I have to deal with on a day to day basis. You know, as a gun loving Second Amendment rights guy, I, I hate the hypocrisy in the gun culture. They're spoiling it for the rest of us. That's <laughs> yeah. what's happening. They're spoiling it for the rest of us. And I, I'll tell you, the law enforcement side, you could tell I'm all in sense. Law enforcement is not happy about having a zillion guns on the street no. everywhere and no way to take them. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. And something that a lot of people don't know is with law enforcement, a lot of people think, oh, well, they all wear a bulletproof vest. And let's say that 80% of them wear that vest, which that's probably way, way too high. But way high. Most, yeah. most of law enforcement that does wear a vest, that only stops small all calibers like handguns or a shotgun when it right. comes to any sort of rifle that goes right through that vest in and out of that vest and so when it comes to like an ar-15 or something like that a bulletproof vest does nothing for that the only vest that prevents that are the ones that the military uses and they have like a metal plate in the front but local law enforcement does not wear those types of vests so when it comes to rifles and semi-automatic rifles 
there, there is no protection for law enforcement if somebody is armed with one of those. I can see the astonishment on Sarah's face. I feel like you live in a state of fear and it's your default position. Is that wrong? Yeah, it's it's hmm. fear of a home invasion or fear of the government coming for us. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like if you put those things on the scales of probability, I feel like people are stacking one side with prevention, prevention, prevention for something that actually probably doesn't sound like statistically warranted well, all the time. And I'll add this about the government taking it since I've been one of those government hacks. If I was developing a plan for the government to come and take all your guns, you having a handgun in your home or a rifle in your home is not really going to prevent me from doing that. We have better weapons and more people to do that. We go to war. You think it would be an issue to take guns from people's houses? I mean, I think not. <laughs> so right? So <laughs> you have drones. Exactly. Exactly. We we have tools that you can't even like imagine, right? And we have way more tools than you do. It's kind of laughable to me. First of all, it's never going to happen. The government, we could never be that coordinated to actually do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the truth of it. Yeah. And there's no willingness to do it. Nobody's interested in taking everybody's guns away. It's just a false narrative. When it comes to red flag laws, when it comes to actual enforcement mm-hmm. of laws, do you think a red flag law would help? with gun violence and mass shootings? And if so, how? And is the rhetoric that red flag laws are, you know, a slippery slope to taking our guns away? Do you think that's true? I think that is the word that you just used. I think that's rhetoric. If a belief in anything that has to do with guns is a slippery slope, we can't make any headway. Those individuals who believe that any discussion and any changes that have to do with anything involving guns, they're not potentially going to budge. And they need to, is my short answer. But when you asked me about red flag laws, I had a a chief say this to me recently. You know, he said in in the old days, if I went to a a person's house on a domestic call and uh, there was an issue between a husband and a wife and there was a gun present and I said, you know, dude, you've already smacked her once in the eye. I'm not leaving you here with her and that gun. Let's go. The law enforcement officer could take the gun and take the guy into jail, book him, whatever, and the law enforcement officer could take the gun. Red flag laws are almost creating a situation that prohibits that. Now, so law enforcement officers can't take somebody's gun from their house and say, you know what, Johnny, when you calm down and you're not drunk anymore, why don't you come down to the station house and I'll give you your gun back, which is what it used to be. Now they can't. So that's why red flag laws appear. I mean, I think we should have enhanced red flag laws where states should say if a law enforcement officer goes to somebody's house and they see some woman getting the crap beat out of her or some guy getting the crap beat out of him and they say, are there guns here? They should be able to take those guns. And then it's allowing somebody some cooling off time to go to court and say, hey, look, I'm okay now. I'm good. And it also involves taking guns away from somebody who might want to commit suicide. And that's what a red flag law is for. It's for people who are in trouble. But I think everybody who's interpreting it, that's just one more way we're trying to take your guns away. Well, first of all, what law enforcement sees on the street, what they're able to take to an arrest, and then what an arrest is able to take to a court is like so minuscule. It's like astonishing the misconduct that occurs in all of us 
in society versus, you know, how many times have you speeded on the road and how many times you've been ticketed for it? You know, a fraction of nothing. And then the amount of plea deals. So it's like things that actually go to trial, it's like 3% mm-hmm. or something. So it's so minuscule, as you put. Our legal system is designed for plea deals. I've handled 50 cases a day. Our system is designed to require plea deals in order to actually get things accomplished in court. My saying is plea deals screw the innocent and benefit the guilty. <laughs> okay. Let that one sink in. <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can Yeah. I don't that. think any. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely don't think anybody who's innocent should accept a plea deal. I, as a prosecutor, I will say that. But, you know, that said, how are you going to pay your lawyer fees, right? And, and lose your job and sit in jail while you wait for a trial. It's a terrible situation that is not just in America, Sarah. It's no. across the world. I was going to say, doesn't sound just an American problem for a change. <laughs> no. When it comes to mass shootings, mm-hmm. what is the age range? What is the typical weapon used? Oh, handguns? Mm-hmm. Uh, most mass shootings in the United States are carried out with the use of handguns. Most shooters come to a shooting with more than one weapon. So sometimes they come with a long gun and a couple of handguns. And we've had shooters who are 12-year-olds who are in middle school up into people in their 80s. So not unusual. There's no age range. I think there's often a persistent misconception that there's some demographics, there's a profile of a shooter, but there aren't. The only demographic we have is that the shooters in mass shootings are male. In the United States, they're male. Males psychologically generally aggress outward. Women are more self-destructive inward. And it's not because they have mental health problems. It's not because they're playing video games. Another huge misnomer. It's There's tons of research that shows that, first of all, in the United States, and around the world, more than half of the people who play video games are women. So do the math on that. Yeah, I've always hated that that stereotype because I've played the most violent video games you could ever imagine right. and listened to the most, you know, darkest metal music ever. And yeah. <laughs> I, it's never made me go kill my family. So. Yeah. You know, I just read this great study. I think it was from a Harvard researchers who could put together all the research on video game usage and whether it created violent actions by individuals. It's fascinating because I think they looked at like 80 different research projects that had to do with video games. And you will love this, Justin. They concluded that not only did video games have nothing to do with violence, right? There's a difference between violence and aggression, right? Violence is in action towards others. Aggression is just you're being aggressive, right? Not only did video games have no correlation with violence, But in addition to that, some of the research found that playing video games reduced aggression in individuals who were aggressive. And it was a good and positive outlet. Wow. It was a good and positive outlet. Mind-blowingly different from the storytelling that is in the media about it, isn't it? We need to get whoever did that research. Hilariously enough, I just read another study that pretty much came to the same conclusion about heavy metal. Really? I love it. It actually lessened aggressive. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. When it comes to steps to prevent mass shootings, what are some of those steps to prevent this? I think that prevention is the key, obviously. And prevention means knowing what to look for. And if we know that 30 to 40% of the individuals who commit mass shootings also intend to, and many do, commit suicide, the most important thing is to know what the signs are and what to look for. We often know what the signs are to look for somebody who might want to commit suicide. If that person also has access to weapons, they can also commit a mass shooting. So the biggest thing that you can do is see something, say something. You have to not only see it, but you have to say it. You have to report it. And that requires you to know who to say something to. So first, learn the signs. Somebody who is wanting to commit suicide will give their things away. They'll be more depressed. They'll stop taking medications. They might stop eating. They might change their appearance. They might stop taking baths. They might fail in school when they've never done that before, lose their friends. So if they're not suicidal, they might be somebody who's creating a real or perceived grievance. So they've decided that that teacher's out to get them. Those kids at school are out to get them. That boss is out to get them. More than half of our mass shootings in the United States occur in places of business, and they are shootings that occur often with a employee who is in the business, many of them the day they're fired. What is your plan for firing your employees? What are you doing to try to carry them and prevent them from being fired? Can you give them some severance pay for a couple of weeks to get them over this hump of being fired because they just aren't working out? There's a lot of things you can do to prevent somebody from kind of stressing out and going over the top. But the behaviors that you're looking for, they're planned behaviors. They buy guns, they buy bulletproof vests, they start wearing different clothes. A man might shave his head when he's never shaved his head before because he's kind of getting into this fighting 
mode, commando mode, or something like that. Those signs are signs that somebody's on a pathway to violence and they need to be reported. And then who do you report that to? My answer to that is report it to everybody. Report it to local law enforcement, report it to the FBI tip line, report it to the kid's teacher, report it to the boss, report it to the HR department. Don't report it to one person and hope that they'll do something about it. Report it to everybody you can report it to. FBI research shows that the most common person that information is reported to is the actual offender. So if somebody says, I've had it with this boss, I've had it with this boss, I'm done with this shop, I'm going to make them pay for it, that is a threat. And most of the time, FBI research shows that somebody who hears that, who works in that shop, goes back to that guy and says, or gal, and says, you know, I heard you say this, Nancy. I heard you say this, Joe. You said you were going to get even. That sounds like you're going to do something kind of violent. And then Joe says, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I was just kidding. And then they drop it. They should be reporting it immediately because they don't know all the facts. You don't want that on your shoulders, that you're the only one who knew something was going to happen. But also, we've had plenty of situations where an individual has a piece of the information. You hear Joe making those kinds of statements, but the police know that Joe just had a domestic call at his house, and his wife said that Joe just bought four guns and she doesn't want them in the house. So the police have more information. So see something, say something. That's how we're going to prevent mass shootings. And those are great telltale signs there. When I was sitting in your seminar, or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> at uh, CrimeCon UK, I remember you actually bringing up like, what if somebody puts blackout curtains all over their windows? Maybe that's yeah. a, a sign. And I just thought, I do that, but I just like sleeping in and not having the sun come in. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was one of those things where when you said it, I wholeheartedly disagreed with you. But then after right. it sunk in, I was like, no, she's just pointing out changes in behavior. And that's yeah. it. Right. Changes in behavior that may or may not be a positive change. And it just took me a while to kind of comprehend what you were trying to say. You weren't saying somebody puts blackout curtains up. That's the only thing they've done differently. Go report it. No, it was that in conjunction with a dozen other changes in their behavior. You know, And I was like, oh, I got it. And I'm sure that a lot of these mass shooters that we hear about were handing out their red flags to people. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right to I love that. I love that. That's right. I, I, that's a great way to put it because they're all planned events. They're targeted violence. You have to have all these actions and statements and things happen that people can see. Planning and preparation. You may have a bad feeling about your boss and you want to off him. That's just still in your head. But the minute you start planning for it and preparing for that day, everybody can see that. You have co-conspirators. They're the people around you. And that's, I guess that's what's really disturbing to me when you know you've covered so many of them and there, there were so many telltale signs and even they were reported on somebody did see something and say something but nothing was done but the facts weren't put together right yeah i mean that's it somebody has to on the other end has to put the facts together but you individually can only do the reporting yeah you have to rely on the other end, law enforcement, mental health officials, school officials, boss officials, and employment, yeah. getting better at putting those facts together. And I, and I don't want anyone to, you know, 
overly waste any law enforcement's time. But if you do see something suspicious and you call, it, there's a record of that now. So maybe it was nothing. Maybe it doesn't lead to anything. And don't call on a bunch of people having a picnic in, in a park, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, when it comes to a, an actual suspicious behavior, like maybe you saw a car parked in, in a parking lot and you saw a man and a woman arguing or something happening and you call on that. Well, now there's right. a record that you made this phone call at 930 a.m. And then let's say that woman's body is found the next day. Right. There is a wow. a, a yeah. paper trail now of, hey, we know that she was still alive, possibly at 930, and she was in this car with this person. And that's how we solve crime, right? <laughs> Every day. Every day. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. I wrote the initial research on active shooters, 160 active shooter incidents over a 14-year period. When... We did that initial research that we worked with our behavioral experts at Quantico and said, okay, you know, who are our shooters? One of the things that was fascinating about the results is, you know, what we call leakage, people who hear information about a crime and then whether they report it. Law enforcement heard about potential crimes and the facts that they had in their records. And of 63 shooters we studied, 63 people who committed mass shootings. Law enforcement had information in their systems 25% of the time. Family members knew it three quarters of the time. Workmates, 80 some percent of the time. If the person was a student, 92% of the time, there was direct leakage to a fellow student and it wasn't reported. 92% of the time. Wow. Law enforcement's not going to be the one who hears it. We count on the American public to, to report it. But it's always hindsight is 2020 when you're going back and, mm -hmm. you know, doing the root cause analysis, the deconstruction of this event. And if, right. if, if anyone thinks, how do you prevent this? Well, I think you just nailed a huge piece of it right there because most of us do know that there's something up with somebody. Yeah. Uh, most it's like of gut us, feeling, right? You've got to trust your gut when you hear something that's a bit off. This is probably an impossible statistic, but is there any way to see if when law enforcement engages with a person, how many times they've gone on to commit the mass shooting? I mean, I know it's hard when you're like, well, they engaged with this person and therefore the mass shooting did not happen. You know what? There's some information on the research you're looking for, Justin, is called averted attacks. And there's some information on that, but more than that, law enforcement de-escalates every day. Your parents de-escalate every day. Your co-workers de-escalate every day. Your spouses, you know, your partners. So I remember we had a kid once who did something really bad who said, I, I was going to do this, you know, on Monday. And I came into school. And when I walked into school, I saw this teacher I knew who said, you know, hey, it's so nice to see you. I'm glad to see you here today. I hope you had a great weekend. And the kid said afterwards, I knew that couldn't be the day. This is why my motto is be kind. Kindness is free. You don't know what little act of kindness might help somebody from not pushing them over the edge and having it be the last thing. You know, somebody bumps a shopping cart into your car in the grocery store parking lot and, you know, you pull out a gun. Probably not the first thing that's annoyed you. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember what movie it was. I think it was an Adam Sandler movie or something, but I remember 
some educational yeah. movie. Yeah, um, but I, I just remember <laughs> they 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 go to some place and he runs into this you know nerdy guy from high school and he says, "Oh hey, by the way, I just wanted to apologize to you if I ever treated you poorly." And the guy's like, "Oh no, everything's fine." And then he walks off, and then the guy pulls out a list and crosses off Adam Sandler's <laughs> name. Made for that, I can't think what movie it is. <laughs> You know, even though it seems all anecdotal, one of the things that we know from interviewing killers and in their writings, if they are deceased, we will often hear something akin to, they made me do it. So the killers believe that there have been plenty of opportunities for the community to right the wrong that has offended them. Yeah. A lot of serial killers will blame law enforcement. Like, I left all the breadcrumbs for you. Right. Why didn't you stop me? Right. Exactly. Well, we were trying, dumbass. <laughs> it's, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a very narcissistic way of looking at it. I think we use the term narcissist way too much, but narcissistic tendencies, I will definitely say people have that. that. Well, for serial killers, for sure. Yeah. I think that the individuals who commit mass shootings, they are just on a pathway of destruction, and we have to get them off that pathway. And I'm sorry to say this, and we have to keep guns out of their hands while they get the help they need. You know, so I think it is when people say, oh, it's mental health, it's guns, it's mental health, it's guns. It's both. Both. Somebody's on a pathway of destruction because of whatever real or perceived grievance they have, but they also have access to the guns. In the case of like Uvalde school shooting, um, mm-hmm. Tragedy, were, those, yeah. were those officers trained? In any type of mass shooting program, what what went wrong there, I guess? Yeah, the Uvalde shooting, which killed two adults and 19 children, I believe. It was a horrible situation, a tragedy where a young man in his 20s came to the school, shot through the side door, came in and ran into a classroom and killed a bunch of kids, killed a bunch of people. So did the law enforcement officers who responded, were they trained in what we call active shooter response? Yes, they were all trained in that. They just didn't execute their training. And I can tell you, there's nobody in the law enforcement community that responded to that, which was more than 100 officers who intended or wanted to see adults or children die, right? So there was no plan. There was no intent. There was no, we're just going to let those people die. But what happened is law enforcement arrived at the scene. And we know this because we have camera shots, live camera shots of closed circuit and the camp body cameras. And the officers went in to the school. They, they were not too far behind the kid. They chased down the hallway. The kid went into a classroom and the law enforcement officers coming in from two different doors got to the doorway and stopped. And I think that momentary hesitation changed the entire nature of what occurred. And although our Department of Justice is coming out with a more detailed report, what happened, I think, is three factors. First, the law enforcement officers who were trained to go into that school room didn't go in, and they should have. The moment they were there, they were, I think, afraid in their defense. They knew that they had handguns and the shooter probably had like an AR-15 style weapon. And then two, there very quickly was amassed a large number of law enforcement inside the building and nobody took charge right away. The chief that was there for the school district abdicated his responsibility at various times, 
told the press afterwards he was in charge. He wasn't in charge. I was never in charge. I'm sorry, but when the word chief is in front of your name, even if you're only in charge of six officers, you're in charge. So I think there was massive confusion because it became nobody in charge. And then thirdly, there were so many responding that there were a lot of radio communications. And I think the radio communications eventually described it as saying, we have him barricaded in this room. And police protocols for a barricaded subject are completely different. And I think that, you know, the worst part about Uvalde that I would just add is that if you think there aren't so many victims you aren't even aware of, we all saw the body camera footage of an officer whose wife was bleeding, had been shot, and she was a teacher in the classroom. And she called him and said, I'm here in the classroom. I've been shot. I'm bleeding. And he races to the school and we see body camera footage of him coming to the law enforcement officers who are there in the hallway and he starts to walk forward and they stop him. And he says, my wife is in there. She's bleeding. And they said, you can't go in there and held him from going in. That officer's wife bled to death in that classroom. And that's what you pretty much say in your book and everything is you have to go eliminate the threat immediately. You have to pursue the threat. You have to go after the threat. You cannot pause. You cannot hesitate. You have to go and take care of it. And, uh, you know, another example is the Parkland shooting and the school resource officer didn't act in that. And they actually brought charges against him for not acting, child neglect, culpable negligence and things like that. But here in the States, we have a Supreme Court precedent that police officers actually don't have a duty to protect us. Police yeah, officers don't have a duty to die. Yeah. Right. Um, they, have a, they have a higher priority to save their own life yeah. under the law. And I get that. But the Supreme Court precedent that was set was never based on a police officer not wanting to go into a building to get shot by a mass shooter. It was set on, they responded to a 911 call and a woman was being murdered. They didn't do anything. They didn't see anything. So they left the scene. And then that woman ended up being murdered. And they're like, well, they don't really have any duty to protect you. Mm -hmm. And it was a protection thing. Now, I like the way you put it is no, they do not need to put themselves in harm's way if they feel like they're going to die. But I was wondering in that Parkland shooting, if that was going to come up. And it appears that the way the prosecutor went after him was for neglect of a child and culpable negligence and not a duty to protect. And I was curious how that would play out because of the precedent that has been set in the past. So the Supreme Court rulings really have to do with constitutional rights. And the shooting in Parkland was in Parkland in Florida. So the state of Florida only had certain you know laws available to them so that prosecutor could charge and did charge, amongst other things, indicating that this individual was the child's caregiver under the law. And the jury found that that was not true, that this officer was not the caregiver of those children and therefore had an enhanced responsibility to the students. And that's the challenge of it, right? People found not guilty are not necessarily innocent. The Supreme Court has said that over and over again. It's a question of whether you can convict somebody, whether you have the evidence, whether the statutes fit. And in that case, the difference between, say, for instance, that in, in Michigan, Michigan has a specific law they passed after 9-11 that says we have a domestic terrorism law 
which the federal government does not, that said, we can convict you of being a domestic terrorist if you do these things. And therefore, they were able to charge their shooter at Oxford High School with terrorism, which many states you might not be able to do because there isn't a state law and certainly there isn't a federal one. And in this duty to care, duty to care requires often an enhanced relationship. A parent has a duty to care, an employer has a duty to care under OSHA laws. And in the case of a teacher, they may have a duty to care depending on the circumstances. Daycare centers, duty to care. Pastor in a church, no duty to care, right? You're just a churchgoer coming and going. So that's what they found in Florida. And I know that angered many people who we know who lost kids there, but that was the legal mechanisms they had available for them. I mean, it's like Justin. Yes. And I guess the way most people felt about whether it's Parkland or Uvalde is why is there a armed security officer at the school right. if he's not there to prevent a mass shooting? Like, what's the point of this guy? Yeah, but I you know? do think that armed security, I'm not knocking armed security at all. I think armed security looks twofold, right? It creates this massive false sense of confidence. You know, Parkland is a campus. There's a bunch of buildings. Michigan State University, where I was just at, where they just had a shooting, 600 buildings, nine square miles, you know, a handful of officers on duty, just like in your town, you know, just because there's law enforcement officers on duty driving around your town doesn't mean they're going to be there when something bad happens. And you say, okay, well, we're going to put an armed security guard in front. Well, there was an armed security guard in front of the Pulse nightclub shooting, one of the worst shootings we had in America. And where was the armed security guard who was a trained law enforcement officer at the time of that shooting? He was out in the parking lot dealing with an underage drinker, right? So it's not a perfect system. Here's the problem with mass shootings. We want the perfect answer to a bunch of imperfect problems. If everyone wants to say they're, they're for protecting the children, well, here we are. Let's protect them. And if you think that you need a right to a weapon. And I always hear like, well, you know, my weapon, I can leave it on my kitchen table and it's not going to hurt anybody. It's people that hurt people. And I say, okay, then allow me to have a pile of fentanyl on my kitchen table. It's just sitting there. It's not hurting anyone. You put your knives in the drawer in the kitchen. Come on. My view is you're not talking about it. You're giving lip service to the conversation. We have the ability to solve all kinds of problems. Come on. You know, we found ways to get rid of polio and Ebola and we sent men to the moon and you guys can't sit down and have conversations that move the conversation forward. Instead, you just completely continue to say the same silly things. Uh, The government's going to come and take all my guns. And then the other side of it is all the guns should be gone. Okay. How about if we have some fruitful conversations that move one thing forward, like half the people that are killed every year with a gun are suicides. What are you doing about suicides in your community? Do one thing. Do one thing. Aaron wrote in one last question, and it was how to survive a mass shooting or tips to survive a mass shooting. Good question. So tips to survive a mass shooting. First of all, understand what run, hide, fight is and what it means. No matter what you're trained in, you can't be killed if you're not there. Get away is your first answer. In the research that I wrote, 70% of the shootings ended in five minutes or less. Half of those ended in two minutes or less. So you're trying to save yourself for a minute or two. Lock the doors in wherever you are. Keep your doors locked because that delays a shooter. But if a shooter appears, you know, first of all, keep your head up. I walked, I saw two people walk into a hostage situation once 
It was terrible to see because they were reading their phones while they were walking into a building. And then suddenly they were proned out on the floor for the next three hours with guns at their heads. So if you get into that situation, run if you can. Children who fled the building after Sandy Hook are alive today. Students who hop out of windows at Virginia Tech are alive today. People who rushed out the back doors of the Pulse nightclub are alive today. Run if you can. If you can't, hide. Hide someplace where there might be a cement wall. Hide behind a tree and don't freeze and drop to the ground. Bullets move across the ground. The longer that you stay on the ground and the more body mass you have on the ground, the more likely you are to get hit by a bullet that's skidding across the ground. You should learn other ways to exit buildings. You should know where the exits are, just like you should for a fire. Everybody who flees a fire flees the same way they came in, and people die because of that. Look where the exits are. Don't be afraid to hop out a window. Don't be afraid to take other people with you. And if you are stuck someplace and somebody gets shot, understand that you can save a life. It takes 15 minutes for a fire EMS to get to the scene and to begin to administer life-saving care for you potentially 15 minutes 30 minutes to transport is the average time so learn how to apply a tourniquet and understand that if you take cloth and you pack it against that wound you're going to stop that artery or that vein from bleeding and you're going to save their life so do it and don't take your hand off of it until a medical professional tells you don't lift your hand to see whether the bleeding is still happening it is so just keep your hand there Hold it, lean on them, lay on them, push on them, get other people to do it too. That's how you save a life. Justin, I just want to say what a pleasure it was to chat with you today. It's so fun to talk to somebody else who is working the gun ownership issue in America. Yeah, the hardest thing is for me to just shut up and let you talk because I'm like, yeah. Yeah, Uh, but it was a pleasure talking to you guys and having you on the show. And I hope people can learn a lot from it. You know, nothing else, have a different perspective or even question their own perspective. You know, that's it. I love that. Hey, Justin, for our listeners, if they want to find Generation Y, what's the best platform to direct them to? We're we're everywhere. Um, (laughs) But it's uh, Generation Y, W-H-Y. And uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, threads now. And our website is genypod.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. 
Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorized financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 